Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Wednesday the 19th of August. Now, you might not be an anti-vaxxer, but are you vaccine hesitant? I don't think people need to be fearful. I think we need to um, be very open and transparent and we need to trust the science. The risk of vaccine hesitancy a little later on The Briefing. First, Jamila Rizvi is here to talk us through the big news of the day. And the big story of the day, Tom, is about a potential vaccine. The Australian government has secured a major international deal on a potential coronavirus vaccine. Yeah, it aims to give all Australians free access to the vaccine. The deal is with AstraZeneca to roll out the Oxford University vaccine if its trials are successful. It's currently in stage three, the final stage before approval. Prime Minister Scott Morrison says that the deal gives us the right to produce the vaccine here in Australia. And the Director General of the World Health Organisation, Tedros Ghebreyes, says the vaccine should go to the most vulnerable groups first. The fastest way to end this pandemic and to reopen economies is to start by protecting the highest risk populations everywhere rather than the entire populations of just some countries. Scott Morrison is in talks to ensure Australia's neighbouring Pacific nations have access to the vaccine. This is exciting news, Tom. Yeah, it's really exciting. One big challenge, though, is going to be getting enough people to take it. And it's not because of the hardcore anti-vaxxers. It's actually people who are vaccine hesitant, people who are just a bit worried or maybe put it off or wait for other people to do it first. We're going to explain what that means a little later in the show. That's right. But more than 100,000 pretty brave people, I suppose, have signed up to trial the vaccine for the good of the rest of us. The human trials will follow initial tests on mice and monkeys. And the next stage, Tom, involves candidates being given a placebo dose of the vaccine as well. And on top of that, the scientists are being kept in the dark about who has been vaccinated properly and who hasn't. So they're really testing the efficacy of this possible vaccine. And Jacinda Ardern has hit back at Donald Trump. Despite 170,000 COVID deaths in the United States compared to New Zealand's 20, the American president had a dig at the new Auckland cluster. You see what's going on in New Zealand? They beat it. They beat it. It was like front page. They beat it because they wanted to show me something. The problem is big surge in New Zealand. So, you know, it's... uh It's terrible. We don't want that. Big surge. So just for context, the US is seeing around 40,000 new cases a day at the moment, and the total number of cases for the Auckland cluster is around 70. Big surge, Tom. Big surge. Yeah, so it made it pretty easy for the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, to clap back at Trump. New Zealand's nine cases um, in a day does not compare to the United States' tens of thousands, and in fact does not compare to most countries in the real world. I'm not concerned about people misinterpreting our our status. Obviously, it's patently wrong. Solid comeback there from Ardern, pounding the facts. There are now 90 New Zealanders infected with coronavirus, despite the country initially aiming for an elimination strategy. A new research shows COVID doesn't spread as easily in humid conditions. So as Queenslanders bask in the glory of their low case numbers, it might not just be the borders that are blocking the virus. The University of New South Wales has been analysing cases that occur in colder, drier climates and has concluded that airborne transmission is higher when humidity is lower. Professor Michael Ward says this goes against previous thinking that the virus spreads mostly on surfaces. But we now are recognising also you get aerosolisation. So that means really, really small particles 
that can float around in the air. And the smaller the particles, the more they can float because they don't have much weight. So basically the theory is that in drier climates like Melbourne, where I am, the particles are smaller and float more easily. Yeah, it's interesting to think about these broader factors that may affect the case numbers in different parts of our country. Yeah, it's a promising theory and interesting to note that community transmission is higher or at least seems to be higher in a lot of cities with lower humidity. All right, Jamila, we'll catch you tomorrow. Annika's jumping in in just a moment to talk about vaccine hesitancy. There's so much excitement about when a COVID vaccine will be ready, but what if not enough people take it? We've discussed anti-vaxxers on the briefing, people that straight up refuse to vaccinate. But have you heard of vaccine hesitancy? So this is a much more common group. The World Health Organization defines vaccine hesitancy as people who might say delay accepting that a vaccine works or they might just refuse to get a jab when it's freely available. This group is now considered one of the top 10 risks to global health. And it's part of the reason why, in America, somewhere between 50% and a third of people say they won't take a COVID vaccine if we get one. That's according to Lancet study and also a Gallup poll in the US. So, Annika, how close are we to actually getting the vaccine? What are the governments saying privately? Look, we do have Australian scientists working on this, but the one we're most likely to get now is the Oxford one. Now, they're working with AstraZeneca, a pharmaceutical company. There's thought that we're close to signing a deal within a week, which could see this vaccine produced in Australia, and it could be widely available from the start of next year. So what proportion of the population will need to take it for it to be effective? Look, here's the hard part. Somewhere between 60, hopefully 70% of the population will have to get this vaccine. They will start with the vulnerable groups, older people, people who work in hospitals. But ultimately, a large chunk of Australians need to get this for us to be able to get back to normal. So that just goes to show how important it is that people actually have the vaccine and how important it is to understand why people hesitate and to ease their concerns. Dr. Robin Canniford from the University of Melbourne says people aren't trusting of health experts because we're being given so much choice and we also have so much access to information which gives us the sense that we can make these decisions that are really complex for ourselves. For me, uh, a lot of this goes back to the idea of consumer empowerment. Uh, We've got used to the idea that we can choose stuff. Traditional service industries, like going out for a restaurant or choosing an airline, um, into health, education and even news, you know, while there's benefits to all of that, once you can begin to choose your information, and importantly, once you can choose what constitutes facts, we're in big, big trouble. So that was Robin Canniford. Um, to tell us more about why people have vaccine hesitancy and to explain why we don't need to hesitate when this vaccine becomes available, we've got Dr. Margie Danchen from the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. She deals with vaccine-hesitant families every week. Yeah, vaccine hesitancy is really um, that state where people are are unsure or sitting on the fence uh, about um, making a decision to have a vaccine. And it is very different from refusal or completely declining all vaccines. From our research in Australia, we know that 
probably about 8 to 12% of parents are in that more highly hesitant group who are really seriously questioning vaccines, or they might have even experienced um, an adverse event with their child or with a family member or a friend. But only about 3% of people um, in the Australian community are actually true refusers, if you like, or decline all vaccines altogether. And about a third of people, we would say, have some questions or minor concerns about vaccines. So what kinds of people are more likely to be vaccine hesitant? We saw some surveys out of the US that found um, Republican voters were less likely yeah. to going to take the COVID-19 vaccine. We also saw that people from um, poorer backgrounds were likely to be less trusting of health authorities. So what what do you expect we see here in Australia? Um, what kinds of people ha- have these hesitant attitudes? We've actually done quite a bit of work on this and it probably wouldn't surprise you to hear that actually more highly educated people, often with a science background, do tend to be more vaccine hesitant or question vaccines than potentially people with lower education or from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. And that's because mainly those families uh, tend to encounter practical barriers to vaccination or what we call access factors. So actually being able to get to the GP or the council immunisation clinic or get time off work. Whereas um, more highly educated parents are often those who um, have a pseudo interpretation of science or who question the um, safety of vaccines more. I kind of fall into that category a little bit, I hate to admit. Now, I will get a vaccine. If scientists have developed one, I will be first in line. But what does concern me is the speed with which this has come about. You know, as you say, it's usually more than a decade. This is being done at warp speed. I think that's even the name of the US program to get this out. So do people have the right to be fearful about that? Is there something that won't be done in this process that has perhaps been done when testing other vaccines? I don't think people need to be fearful. I think we need to um, be very open and transparent and we need to trust the science. I don't think anyone wants to introduce a vaccine into the community that's unsafe. Um, And a lot of the normal production phases for the vaccines are being done in parallel. And there were pandemic platforms set up so that some of this is possible. But what I do think we need to be very, um, you know, clear about is that we need to understand when the vaccines do arrive, the COVID vaccines, what their safety profiles are, and to be able to monitor that very closely once the vaccines are, you know, introduced into the community. Given we're in an Australian context, would our authorities allow, I guess, any vaccine to be widely distributed here that perhaps didn't have rigorous testing? No, I don't think they would at all. Um, I think it would need to be, you know, that's right in a phase three trial is where you look at not only the immune response to the vaccine, but also uh, sort of the protection against the disease, but also the safety profiles. But what we're seeing already, like particularly from the Oxford vaccine uh, data that was uh, released very recently is that these some of these vaccines look like they're going to be quite reactogenic. And what that means is that they can cause, you know, local reactions, redness, um, maybe even systemic reactions like fever, aches. So I think it's going to be a matter of us really preparing people and saying, okay, this is what you can expect. These are some of the side effects that we know are likely to happen. And then people feel informed and they can say, okay, I'm, I'm ready, I'm prepared. 
So based on that, what is the active ingredient in this vaccine? You know, I find it strange that people are willing to rub creams on their face or eat rubbish food, but they're worried about what might go into this. But is there anything that could be injected in our arms that perhaps we should be worried about? No, look, uh, vaccines, um, the ingredients in vaccines uh, vary, of course, depending on on the vaccine, but essentially there's an antigen, which is the inactive uh, part of the germ or the, the in this case the coronavirus um, and they're talking about using a spike protein but there are many different ways that that these vaccines are made but the antigen is what stimulates the immune response to create the antibodies that circulate in the bloodstream and then the other components of the vaccine are things like stabilizers and sugars and salts and sometimes there's an adjuvant which is um, something that helps the immune system see the bug or the antigen better so you know these are the standard components of a vaccine and they are very rigorously tested for safety. Um, And, you know, that's what these trials do is they give the vaccine to a group of people and then they compare it to a group of people who didn't receive the vaccine and see, um, you know, if the uh, adverse events, if you like, or the safety profile is different between the two groups. That's why the phase three trial that you mentioned before is so important because that's done in a large group of people where you're really evaluating that safety profile as well as the immune response. So for someone listening right now who's feeling hesitant about taking the vaccine when it comes, what can you tell them to ease their fears? Well, I think people also need to realise that these vaccines um, are going to be offered to the highest risk people. So, you know, when we think about the groups that are going to be offered the vaccine first, it's going to be people like healthcare workers, frontline workers, those at highest medical risk. So, for example, people over 65 or those with medical risk factors. When these vaccines arrive, they're not going to be offered to everyone in the community. There's just not going to be enough vaccine. It's not going to be offered to every well parent and every well child. So I think people need to be aware of that early. Okay, so that's one point that it'll be rolled out in stages. But what about the vaccine itself and the risk of side effects or or downsides? What can you say to people listening now that can ease their fears or hesitancy about the vaccine? Well, I think this comes back to that balance that, you know, the risk perception of am I more worried about the disease or am I more worried about the vaccine? And I think, you know, everybody can see how this virus and how this disease has changed our way of life. It's having a massive impact, you know, from a social perspective and economic perspective, but also, you know, lots of people are dying from this virus. So it's a real threat. So that's one thing that people need to sort of acknowledge up front. And then on the other side of the the risk um, balance, if you like, is, well, you have to expect there are going to be side effects from these vaccines. There is going to be a risk. So, you know, people say, well, what risk? And as I said before, it's mainly going to be things like, you know, injection site reactions, systemic reactions, fever, aches. So I think if people expect that they're going to be side effects to the vaccine and balance it against the risk of the disease, then they sort of go in feeling more informed, if that makes sense. And should we think of it as a cure? Someone in Canberra said to me recently that it's going to be more like the flu vaccine, that you might have to have it annually. Or We know for a start that there's probably going to be two doses 28 days apart. But is it something that's going to live with us as opposed to, say, tetanus, where you can have it and you get, say, a decade's worth of resistance? How should we see this in terms of it being a cure for the coronavirus? 
Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, there are definitely concerns that it might have to be an annual vaccine like um, the flu vaccine and that the immunity won't be long lasting. And it seems like there's more likely to be more than one dose needed. So again, that puts a lot of pressure on the supply in terms of having enough vaccine for the people who need it the most. But in general, how dangerous are these side effects from vaccines and how often is it that they go from something fairly mild like a skin reaction or some aches to something quite bad and quite scary? So things like injection site reactions and systemic reactions are very common. People need to expect that that is likely to happen and that for sort of a day or so they might need to take Panadol or Nurofen and that they might not feel that well. So we would say they are common but not serious. The very serious adverse events are incredibly rare with vaccines. Unfortunately, sometimes they do occur, but they are very, very rare. Again, if people can sort of expect that there are going to be side effects, um, but that that risk is worth taking and it gets back to that sort of risk perception. So I'm happy to accept this risk for a day or two that I'm not going to feel great because I'm going to be able to protect myself from this really nasty disease and protect my family. Then, you know, I think people, as long as they feel informed and that they have a level of control over what's going on, then they are more willing to accept that risk of the vaccine. That was Dr. Margie Danchen from the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. Annika, there's, there's a lot of work being done on, on actually creating the vaccine right now. There's also work being done to get the production and the supply chain ready, even while it's still being tested. But it sounds like way more work needs to be done on people's attitudes towards taking the vaccine. Absolutely. It feels frustrating needing a PR campaign to convince people to take something which can end this madness we're in, but it sounds like we definitely need it. Now, Tom, I do want to know, after hearing that, are you likely to line up and get this? I'll get the vaccine. It's not something I look forward to doing. I don't really want the side effects for a condition that I probably think I won't get, but knowing that we all need to do it to solve this problem on a society level, absolutely. What about you? Absolutely. If it means I can get overseas, see family and friends and loved ones, I will be first in line. All right. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going to tell you about the woman who's hoping to land the fatal blow on Donald Trump in the upcoming US election. Look forward to speaking to you then. A Podcast One production.